You're listening to Seeing and Believing, a film and television podcast that searches for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. And I'm Kevin McLenathan, waving my handkerchief sadly but fondly in the air as we bid adieu to our South Korean movie marathon. Oh, that's what you're doing. I... I just thought, Kevin, you were you were giving up. You know, as much as the what feels like the umpteenth week of quarantine may be making us feel like giving up, no, Wade, I'm just trying to get my old-timey farewell practices in. Now, that sounds good. Listeners, we've got a great show for you today. We're going to be looking at Lee Chang Dong's 2007 film, Secret Sunshine. That's right, Wade. It's a very appropriate film, actually, to talk about for uh, this special Holy Week episode of Seeing and Believing. Yes, we're talking about that film and giving our listeners some recommendations for home viewing this week. All that's coming up on this episode, episode 243 of Seeing and Believing. Until a mysterious crime took it all away. Well, it's a dark and stormy night in Chicago as we're recording this, Wade. I hope that the uh, thunder that I was hearing a minute ago doesn't disrupt the recording too much, but if you do hear it, just know that it's a rainstorm. It's not any sort of wrathful deity coming after me. (laughs) You know, it's just the soundtrack of 2020, Kevin. Pay it no attention. (laughs) Storm clouds have become a fixture of late. How are you uh, holding up in the the midst of everything that's been going on? Well, you know, I feel like the the last half of last week was a little bit harder than normal. And, and maybe it's just because, you know, we kind of get used to it. And then you realize, oh, we still got a we still got a long ways to go. And uh, so it was it was a little strange. But I'm back at it this week. It's it's Holy Week. We're, we we have a goal. We are we're observing the season. We're looking forward to Easter Sunday. We're not eating desserts or anything like that. And so Sunday is going to be great. Uh, so that, that's that's our goal. What about you, Kevin? I'm doing okay. Palm Sunday. You know, uh, as an Anglican, it was a little bit weird to. You know, just have Palm Sunday church in our living room over, you know, a a streamed video rather than, you know, waving the palms in the air and having the procession and all that. That was a little bit tough to cope with, but you know what? It's kind of the new normal now and we're getting through it. You're like, it it was really strange to have that cult in my living room and no one else there to ride on it or enjoy it, but we committed to Palm Sunday. I am very interested to know what your mental image of Anglican <laughs> services is now. <laughs> yeah, I uh, grew up Assemblies of God, so I that's what I think about when I think of Anglicans, um, cults, and writing them and all that. No. Uh, yeah, so, well, 
I, it is strange. It, it is kind of wild. And, you know, even the podcast has been a little bit different, but I, I do appreciate recording and preparing for this every single week uh, because it adds a sense of normalcy uh, to my, to my schedule. So it's good to be talking to you, Kevin, as, as usual, per usual. That part of the new normal has actually been a really welcome part of, of the quarantine. I've had a great time with the South Korean movie marathon that we're bringing to a close this week. Just knowing that I had a South Korean movie waiting for me to, to watch was just something to look forward to and uh, was really great. And we're, we're talking about a doozy this week. We've reviewed one other film from director Lee Chang Dong on the show. Uh, that was burning way back on episode 174. We're returning to his filmography for Holy Week because I can't think of any South Korean movie more fitting for the occasion than his 2007 film, Secret Sunshine. The film follows Shin A, a recently widowed woman who moves to the small town of Milyang with her young son to start over and sever all ties, as she puts it. She seems well on her way to establishing herself within the local community when tragedy strikes. She turns to evangelical Christianity when her grief becomes too much for her to bear, setting off a three-way struggle throughout the second half of the film between Shine, her pain, and God himself. Wade, Christianity and the problem of pain is a central theme to this movie as much as any movie we've ever talked about on the show. What did you make of Lee Chang Dong's addressing of those topics in Secret Sunshine? So I we've been talking about Kevin how this is a film that deals specifically with Christianity. Now it's definitely a universal movie because the ideas of of God's will and pain and suffering they cut across so many different religions and worldviews. I don't know if I was prepared for how actually Christian this film gets. And when I say Christian, I, I mean the depiction of Christianity. The film about halfway through almost changes courses. And one character, uh, actually a couple characters, Shanae uh, and this puppyish suitor who's following her around, uh, they go up these steps and they are going to a prayer meeting. And I hear uh, in Korean, obviously, listening to the song and reading the subtitles, a song that I used to sing in church. And so this is evangelical Christianity. It, it's it's just really kind of strange to hear some of these songs being sung, especially in a film with this esteemed director. And so I, I really dug that. This is a complicated movie, and this is made by someone who's on the outside of the faith who's really trying to wrestle with the religious lineage of his country. About one-third of the people in his country are Christians in South Korea, and most of those are evangelicals. And so he, Lee, seeks to understand how that faith works in a very painful world. And he definitely has this... I wouldn't say anger towards organized religion, but almost a distrust towards organized religion here. At the same time, the Christians, for the most part, aren't caricatures. And that was a nice little balance. And I will also say this. The worship church services in this film 
are some of the more realistic ones that I've seen. And a lot of movies get that wrong. But I feel like Lee gets it right here. And of course, this is a country that I've never visited before. Um, but it was just fascinating to watch this movie. I just, I don't know, it was just, it was just kind of surreal in a way, if, if that makes sense, Kevin. Yeah, you mentioned that scene where uh, our main character uh, steps, steps foot inside of one of these churches for uh, was probably the first time for her character. And we hear the strains of, you are my all in all, which <laughs> yeah. I don't know about you. I had kind of a Pavlovian response to that, took me all the way back to short-term mission trips with my youth group back in high school. So that was definitely uh, something that the first time I saw this film really just sort of snapped my head around and, and just had a, a very interesting effect on me. Um, I do really appreciate, like you said, that Lee Chang Dong really does seem to have have done his homework into really digging into not just the culture of evangelical Christianity in South Korea, but also its implications. And I think that's what I appreciate most about this film is it reminded me a little bit of the fiction of Dostoevsky. It's not as heady as, as Dostoevsky is by any means. I mean, that that's a writer who's, you know, very much, you know, very much about ideas and philosophies and having his characters really bring those out in complex and interesting ways. And this film doesn't necessarily have those heady conversations in the same way that a Dostoevsky novel has. But what I did find as a similarity between the two is the real wrestling with uh, with the implications of faith and trying to come to terms with naughty questions that that really um, have plagued religious thinkers for for centuries, if not longer. About you know how does God allow evil in the world? What does it mean to uh, be a good person? What does it mean to fully embrace the tense of Christianity? What does that even look like? And does that uh, require of you something that's almost inhuman to uh, embrace that level of forgiveness and self-sacrifice? And the fact that Secret Sunshine really digs into those questions in a way that um, is not polemical, but rather very interested in what it looks like in this specific woman that we follow for two and a half hours is really remarkable and uh, make Secret Sunshine worth uh, a lot of attention and, and care. And it's just, it's really wild because you have that question, the question of evil and suffering in the world. And then you also have the question of forgiveness. Who gets to be redeemed? And we look at an extreme case here. And so we have Shanae's character, and she visits someone, and she has recently converted to Christianity. Her face is joyous. She's smiling. She has this newfound fervor for life. She wants to make a big show of the forgiveness that she's offering someone who did something inhumane. And she meets that person. And in just an incredible moment in the film, that person appears. And his face looks the same, too. And he says that he's been forgiven. And she's forced to reckon with, wait, God God saved me and wanted me to forgive this individual so that this individual could know God. But before I even got there, 
he says God forgave him. And that just kind of sends her on a tailspin. And it's just fascinating to think about. And Leah's really kind of pushing the buttons here. And I was surprised with this film. I've only seen one of his movies. I've seen Burning. And I found the cinematography, the compositions, the lighting, I found them to be very poetic and uh, beautiful and heartbreaking. And here there's this sense of normalcy in the look and the form of the movie. Most of the shots are handheld shots. I wouldn't say that the lighting is all that stylistic or, or moody. It's more naturalistic. And I wrote this down in my notes. The visual style is scrubbed of all transcendence. This character, she's looking for God, but she's boxed in by this naturalistic world around her. And that is the heart of this film. Are there things happening that we can't see? And how do we see through those when there's so much evil and pain and sorrow, and you could even say sin, that's blocking our perspective. It's just really kind of uh, wonderful. And and whether you walk away from this film saying, well, I, you know, I think Lee got it right. I, I don't know if that's the point. I think Lee's really kind of struggling with this and he's presenting these issues. There's really something here for us all to consider. Yeah, the, the way that Lee uses his camera is really interesting because as you observed, most of his shots are, are handheld. Uh, most of them are at human level. So we, we stay resolutely on the level of these characters rather than getting low angle shots that you know show show them up against the sky or you know these these long shots when when they do occur are mostly kind of downward angles so we're looking uh, down at the characters there's uh, one scene where Shanae is um, attempting to to seduce somebody and the camera is a god's eye shot that you know is familiar to anyone who's ever seen a Scorsese movie where it's just like very severe looking straight down on her and she's just she's kind of spread out almost like a like a butterfly pinned to a board or something like it, it, the the gaze of the camera transfixes her literally uh and that's something that's a strategy that pervades the film there are only two places in the film in fact where the camera is angled upward so that we can see the sky and it's you know one of the opening shots where it's sort of a child's eye view as uh Shin A's son is looking up through a windshield a car windshield up at the sky. And then the second time that shot recurs is when Shanae gets the worst news of her life. And uh, that's a really striking moment for Lee to insert those. And they're all the more striking because that's the only time we see that. The rest of the time when a character looks up, we don't follow their gaze upward. We The camera stays fixed on their face. So... Uh, in the latter half of the film, when Shanae is in this tailspin, as you mentioned, she's angry at God for extending forgiveness to this person who hurt her. She She's constantly look, glaring up at the heavens, and we don't follow her gaze to glare up at the heavens, too. We're, we're still observing her quietly, and that's very much by design. And, and when we do see the sky, it is shown through the inside of a car outside of the windshield. We get a couple of shots like that. The first shot of the film is looking up 
And it's worth noting that the last shot of the film is looking down at the ground. And we're trying to find some way to move forward in between. And there definitely is this element happening with cars. We get a lot of shots from the back seat facing the windshield of the car, watching people drive around. We get plot points where characters almost uh, run over other people with their car. They almost get hit with a car. They're being driven to a particular place, and that car ride is significant. And there almost seems to be this kind of sheltered look. We're looking out at the world from inside this compartment, and when we get outside of that compartment, that's when problems start to happen. A car breaks down at one point. And I, it's, really, it's really telling to kind of look at the Christians in this film. If we're looking at Lee, we're thinking about Lee and what he wants to do with this film and with religion and specifically with evangelical Christianity. We get some Christians who are actually pretty caring. They just have really bad theology. They are, hey, you know, just it's God's will. It's God's will. And they can't lean into the trauma that Shanae is experiencing. At the same time, though, Lee is careful to show them as individuals who are just around. The reverend in the picture is visiting Shanae at the hospital. She's going, he's going to her home. He's having conversations with her. The characters in the movie from the church, they have a prayer meeting for her because they know that she's struggling. And so they are, they're present. Uh, they're just misguided. And I appreciated that sort of, uh, I don't know if you would say balance, but that portrayal and that maybe he is concerned with religion and how religion can possibly use us and even how we can use religion. Well, at the same time, seeing that there, there might be something here and these individuals might be doing some good, even if he maybe lands outside of the church with this picture. I really like how uh, Lee structures this film. There's a, an early scene where Shanae has, you know, she's just moved to Miliang. She's still kind of getting to know her neighbors a little bit. They're still getting to know her. And there's one scene where she's just returned from uh, picking up her son from school. And they're, they're standing outside her apartment while she's fumbling with the keys to unlock it. And the pharmacist across the street, who is a Christian, you know, waves her over and, and calls her because she wants to, to give her the gift of a Bible. So Shanae, you know, tell, tells her son to stay put while she crosses the street to, to go talk to this woman. And the whole thing is, is shot kind of like an inciting incident. The entire time, even if you don't know the, the plot of the movie, the entire time, you're expecting something horrible to happen to, to the boy after she leaves him alone. Like he'll wander into the street or he'll get lost or somebody will take him. Um, and, and so you're kind of almost on edge during this conversation between the two women because your brain is still thinking about the kid left alone out on the sidewalk. And it's not. I mean, she she gets home and her, her son's fine. Like there's, there's nothing out really all that out of the ordinary. But that scene is shot in a way to to make you on edge about that inciting incident. And it is an inciting incident, but it's inciting the conflict that will eventually arise between Shanae and God and how that's, that's the central core of this film, not worrying over a child's safety. And that I think is really 
uh, um, kind of masterful on Li Chengdong's part to sort of sneak in the main conflict under what you think is the main conflict in a way that kind of mirrors the way this film sees God is that he kind of he kind of sneaks his way into Shinae's life in ways that she doesn't expect and certainly doesn't welcome, but he he still does it all the same. And at least for me, depending on how you read the the final moments of this film, your interpretation might be different. But for me, it's kind of God's presence making itself felt in ways that again, aren't always welcome and might be rebelled against, but that doesn't change the fact that he is still seeking out these characters. And I really appreciated that vision being brought to the screen here. Yeah, I I don't know. I I can see that. I'm still unsure because, and and I mentioned outside of the church, I, I, I think that Lee is, is saying that there could be hope outside of organized religion. There is something about the last image in the film being of the dirt the first image being the sky the last being the dirt and is what we see in front of us kind of what we have to grab hold of um one character says god's will is in every beam of light and we do see sunlight there and so it's possible but i i I don't know i need to i need to think that one through and in order to kind of land somewhere yeah, I mean, like I said, there it really does depend on how you you read that final shot. You can read it as sort of hope for for connection finding its its place outside of the church. For me, uh, the, this shot of the sun shining on you know some mud, some dirt, um, really spoke to me of the fact that even though the characters aren't necessarily paying attention to the secret sunshine, so to speak. The, the sun is still there. It's still illuminating and shining down on uh, on the world, even when it does get, you know, amid all the, the muck and the, the pain, you know, God is still there. Like his, his presence is there, even if they don't acknowledge him. And even if they look for connection elsewhere outside of Christianity, that doesn't change the fact that he exists and uh, he's trying to, he's trying to, uh, shine into our protagonist's life somehow. It is something I really appreciate about the film, though, that that scene is kind of leaving that ambiguity for you to to wrestle with. Uh, I, th- I think that's one of the film's stronger points is that you can read it both ways, and I, I just like that. It, and no, it's, I, th- I think that's true, and I just want to think through that some more. And I think there's there's just it's, – it's a rich film, and that's what I appreciate. I, I think moving on to from that point is – what we would normally see in a story like this. And this is just kind of a, I don't know, it's, it's just an interesting movie because if someone said, hey, Kevin, I want to tell you about a film about a young woman, she has a son, her husband passed away, and he always wanted to move back to his hometown, his small hometown, and so she decides to do that. And her car breaks down, she meets a nice, kind mechanic, and she begins to make a new path for herself. You would think that'd just be, you know, a Hallmark movie or 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 a rom-com. And it, it really does kind of take a turn. And and this movie has so many sort of genres within it. Uh, you've got the the thriller aspect of it. You have the drama. You this is a film about grief. And then it's also very funny. There are some scenes. There's there's one scene where Kim the the puppyish mechanic 
uh, he is he's trying to win over uh, Shanae, and he decides he's going to go to church with her. And you think, yeah, he's probably going to church just because of her. And he volunteers to work the parking lot. And he has this interaction because a car is not parked correctly. And it is so funny. <laughs> it is hilarious. And his character's really, really good. He's he's trying so hard to like be be the good Christian in that moment, <laughs> but you can tell he really just wants to lay into this guy. <laughs> he does. And it's just it's wild. And and then two, we also expect for for weeping to happen and for someone to kind of break down and come to a realization. And I think that's what Lee also does differently here. There's an emphasis on wailing, wailing, in that Shanae is so broken, she is so torn apart that uh, she has moved past simple tears and she wails. There's one great scene in that prayer meeting where we get this wide shot of the congregation and we just hear her just just wailing over and over again. And the wailing in this film actually reminds me of Bergman's movie, Fanny and Alexander. And there's one scene there where a, a woman who has, a young woman has also lost her husband. And um, her two children, Fanny and Alexander, are in their room and they hear her just kind of wailing. And they look out and she's pacing beside the, the body inside the coffin. And there's just something distressing in that you're hearing this this uh, this base response you're getting to the core of who we are as human beings this almost animalistic core and we get that because suffering and evil has hurt her so much uh, and i will say this too in 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 lee's credit as well shanae is not this passive individual in fact later on in the movie she does some pretty terrible things now it's kind of understandable in the sense of like okay like she's gone through a lot but something i'm thinking about as well is she's considering the process of forgiveness but by the end of the movie she also needs forgiveness and she might not even realize that but she has done some terrible things including one thing where um, you mentioned she seduces someone. And we're starting to get into territory. I'm, I'm watching that scene. I'm like, she's almost becoming unlikable because of how maniacal this is. But Lee does a good job of just saying, I mean, she is, she's torn apart. Um, um, but, but the thing is, it's hard uh, offering other people forgiveness. Um, but Lee says, hey, we also all need forgiveness because she does things that could tear families apart. Um, and I'm glad that he kind of emphasizes that, at least through the action. There's this tendency in in a lot of movies about grief to to make the grieving person not necessarily like a, a moral Superman necessarily, but to just make sure, like, you very rarely watch one of these films where you're not asked to really be on the side of the person who's, who's grief-stricken and to really try to understand them. And that's, you know, obviously a very logical way to, to build a movie around this because Grief is one of those things that it's it's hard for people who aren't in the midst of it to really fully be in it with the suffering person. So it's understandable why movies take that tack. But this film, Secret Sunshine, really, I, I love Shanae as a character because she is so complex, because she spends basically the entire movie with everybody trying to tell her 
how she should feel about things. Uh, that first, that initial conversation with the pharmacist who gives her the Bible, you know, the pharmacist has heard that she's lost her husband. And so she says, oh, you must be so sad. Here, have the Bible. It'll make you feel better. And Sinead's like, I don't, I don't feel sad. I'm totally fine. Uh, then later on, she's, she's having dinner with her brother and she says that she misses her husband. And he says, well, why do you miss him? He was a jerk to you. And there are all these people constantly telling her that she should feel a certain way or she should react a certain way, uh, that she's not grieving enough or that she's grieving in the wrong way. And you kind of sense that as she goes on, part of her anger at God is that she she senses herself being pushed into uh, a mode of behavior or that there's some sort of mode of behavior expected of her that just makes no sense to her and she has just finally had it. And Lee lets us sit with that and he lets her go to, like you said, some pretty some pretty bad places where that rebellion curdles into something where she just wants to do bad things to sort of get back at God somehow for allowing her to suffer like this and for not uh, not essentially working on working with her grief on her timetable. And that I think is very courageous of the director to really, you know, allow a, a character like this to be unsympathetic in those moments. But it also just makes her so much more engaging because we don't necessarily have to sympathize with her to understand her. And I think that that in some ways is a kind of a Christian attitude that's asking to bring forth from us that we don't have to necessarily, you know, like a person, but we do need to understand and love them even in their uglier moments. And this film is one that accomplishes that, I think. Yes, no, I, I think it does. And there's another scene that's uh, funny where she sabotages a outdoor prayer meeting. Um, it's, uh, it's very, very funny. This film, um, it's just got so much to appreciate. And Kevin, I got to say, these past four movies that we've looked at have all been fantastic have all been great, and I am so happy that we've had a chance to work through some South Korean cinema because uh, these were these were great choices. I, I had not seen any of these before our review, and um, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I made some, some nice new discoveries uh, myself. I was a huge fan of our South Korean movie marathon, needless to say. I'm sad to see it ending, but I don't know. I think it was a, a success. Hopefully, listeners... You agreed as well. If you took the time to watch Secret Sunshine and wanted to share your thoughts about it, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at seeingandbelievingcapc at gmail.com. Also, send us a tweet at cbelievepod over on Twitter. We love hearing your feedback over there as well. And yeah, we just want to get a sense for how many of you have been watching along with us on this marathon. Maybe we've got more marathons in store. We've, we'll be talking about a little bit after the break, but uh, for now, enjoy this music.
want to take a moment and say a big thanks to everyone who supports us via our Patreon campaign. It's really wonderful. You keep us going, and it's nice to know that you're out there and that you believe in the podcast and you want more people to hear about the podcast. Listeners, if you'd like to support us via our Patreon campaign, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast. We have a number of different donation levels there. One of our favorites is the what can you buy for $5 level. Kevin, I know you have a lot of time on your hands and uh, (laughs) I'm wondering what could someone buy for five bucks? Well, speaking of having a lot of time on your hands, $5 will get you the first module in the Infinite Jest role-playing game. <laughs> if, you're a, if you're a David Foster Wallace fan, you just really want to live in, in his worlds all the time, you too can create a character and uh, join in the role-playing fun in Infinite Jest. You know, games go on for basically forever. It's built in such a way that you spend most of your time flipping back to the rule book to check something. There are footnotes, of course, to all of the rules. And uh, yeah, all of your characters are plagued with crippling existential angst. So, you know, it's fun for the for the whole family if, that's, if RPGs are their thing. I mean, that's one of those deals where it's like five bucks for eternity. Like, you have a game that will never end, and it's only $5. Listeners, if existential dread isn't your thing, you can hop on over to our Patreon page, support us. Once again, that's patreon.com forward slash sing underscore believing underscore podcast. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we do usually read listener feedback on on this part of the show, Wade. Uh, We didn't have any to read this week, but that allows us the time to talk about what we're doing next now that our South Korean movie marathon is finished. We were talking about this, you know, before we started recording, and I think that we settled on a pretty interesting idea that I'm excited to explore, and you listeners can participate in the direction in which we go. So wait, we are talking about directors that have movies coming out later this year that we're excited about. You know, your Wes Anderson's, uh, Kelly Reichert's First Cow is technically already released. Practically no one had a chance to see it because its release happened and then the coronavirus happened. I had a ticket to see it at the Music Box Theater at the end of March, mm. and obviously that didn't happen. Oh, yeah. So I didn't get to see it. Most people didn't. So, you know, she's a director who has a new film this year. There are lots of such directors who we look forward to their new films with bated breath. And then we were thinking, well, you know what? Why don't we take the opportunity of, since we're waiting with bated breath, to look back and spend some of that breath on their previous filmography? So, listeners, we are going to be sending out a poll. Uh, in the next few days that will tell us which director who has a movie coming out in 2020 you want us to do a retrospective on. We've already mentioned Wes Anderson is going to be one of the answers. We'll have a few others up there as we kind of decide which four should uh, get that attention in the poll. But we're excited to see where you point us. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this next chapter wade we haven't quite decided what uh format the episodes are going to take whether we're going to like go through the whole thing or whether we're going to kind of like 
do a retrospective contained within a single episode, but it'll be fun. Yeah, or even listeners, if you want us to rank the films of that filmmaker, uh, that would be a lot of fun too. Yeah, just let us know what you think. You can check it out on our Twitter feed. We want to get some feedback on that, and I I think it's going to be pretty exciting, Kevin. It's going to be a whole lot of fun as we weather the storm and get to some theatrical releases that I think everybody's looking forward to later on, hopefully in the summer and in the fall. Kevin, for now, we've reached the part of the show where we recommend something from the world of television and or film to our listeners. What would you like to recommend today? Well, the one I'm going to recommend today is going to come with the caveat that if you want something that's going to divert your attention from disasters, then this might not be the recommendation for you, but I like it quite a bit. It's the television series Avenue 5 on HBO. Uh, It's a new TV show developed by Armando Iannucci, who's most famous for shows like The Thick of It and Veep. And for movies like The Death of Stalin, he's kind of made a brand out of having this very jaundiced view of humanity where kind of all of his characters kind of hate each other, but they are forced to stick together because their lives depend on it, whether it's their political lives or in the case of Avenue 5, their actual lives. Avenue 5 is about this giant cruise liner in space that suffers a catastrophe and finds itself unable to return to Earth for three years. And, of course, this being an Iannucci joint, everybody starts backbiting and going for each other's throats almost immediately. It's tremendously funny. It's really well written, just so sharply written. And it stars Hugh Laurie as the ship's captain and Josh Gad as the tech bro who kind of owns the liner and just happens to be stranded on the liner when things go wrong. So I really enjoy Iannucci's uh, pitch black humor in this case, and uh, it's been a really great find. I wasn't really expecting to uh, really find a new show out there that wasn't Tiger King that everybody was talking about, but this is one (laughs) that I think could use some more conversation. Yeah, I've I've heard about it, and it looks pretty funny. I uh, haven't had a chance to, to check it out. So yeah, that's that's something that I need to uh, need to look into. We talked about Death of Stalin a couple years ago. I, I like that film and uh, I know you're a big Veep fan. I still haven't gotten into Veep. Um, it just seems a little too close to home right now. <laughs> you know, I I actually have not gotten around to watching the, the last couple of seasons of Veep just because, you know, once 2016 happened... It was sort of like, do I want to watch a show about really dysfunctional people in the White House? Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's it's one of those things where um, fiction becomes reality, or maybe reality in, inspires fiction. I, I don't know, something like that. Uh, so I was thinking through my recommendation this week, and this is our Holy Week episode. And I've recommended this film before, but it's just so wonderful. And I I feel like it's got a pretty good reputation, but I don't know if I hear it talked about as much as it should be talked about. And that is Roberto Rossellini's 1945 picture, Rome Open City. This is filmed. It was filmed during the Nazi occupation of Rome in 1944. And it's about a number of characters 
who are attempting to not just survive that occupation, uh, but to resist that occupation. And there is a priest in this picture, Kevin, uh, and he's one of the best priests, I think, depicted on film ever. He is fascinating. And this is a picture about not just standing up to evil, but about sacrifice and um, about the love that we have for the people around us and what we're willing to do to protect those individuals. And we especially see that in the priest character throughout this movie. So if our listeners are looking for a film to watch before Easter Sunday, uh, I would highly recommend Rome Open City. And I wish I could watch this movie again for the first time because the end of it is just so powerful. Um, it's it's really good. I, I need to, Kevin, get into uh, Rossellini's movies a little bit more. I think that's the only one that I've seen from him. Um, I know he has the uh, you know Germany Year Zero and, and a number of other pictures that revolve around World War II. But uh, this is the this is the only one I've watched so far, and um, it's yeah, it's just great. Are, are, for some reason, I, I keep I think that I feel like I've heard you talk about Voyage to Italy uh, during the recommendation segment. Uh, am I am Wait. I totally off base about that? Oh, it, that I have seen that one. That's yeah. I've seen okay, that so you've one. seen so you've seen two of his, That's and you right. really liked. Journey to Italy, yeah. Uh, journey, Journey to Italy. Uh, That's it, right. Journey to Italy, Voyage to Italy. Yeah, it's Rossellini. Uh, you are two up on me. I have not seen a single Rossellini picture, and okay. obviously, I need to fix that yesterday because both of those films, your your pitches for them, have been very, uh, very intriguing. So I definitely will check out Rome Open City pretty soon. Yeah, you know, I don't know how I forgot uh, Journey to Italy. That's a, that's a great picture. And, you know, the interesting thing about Rossellini, too, is later on in life, he uh, composed a couple of movies, uh, TV movies. One was on Blaise Pascal. One was on uh, St. Augustine. And uh, he's done a number of religious uh projects and so uh, i i need to dig into you know joan of arc i i need to dig into uh some more of his work because uh he's just a fascinating filmmaker yeah sounds pretty good listeners we'd love to get your feedback on our recommendations as well as our review of secret sunshine once again you can contact us at cbeliefpod at cbeliefpod on twitter you can also email us seeing and believing capc at gmail.com if you have a chance we'd even love to just hear how you're doing out there and uh, what movies or television shows are keeping you sane. Uh, You're definitely in our thoughts. You're definitely in our prayers. And hopefully as we continue to band together, we will work through this time in this season uh, much quicker uh, than we anticipated. Who knows? (laughs) Uh, that's That's always the hope. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. It's brought to you by our Patreon supporters and ChristandPopCulture.com. Our producer is Jonathan Clausen, who every week helps us to search for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. My co-host is Kevin McLenathan. And until next time, this is Seeing and Believing. We'll see you later. You have been listening to Seeing and Believing, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Alexander Osborne and Lindsay Miz. Used under Creative Commons License 3.0.